Last Saturday, uh, not like yesterday, but Saturday before, a week ago Saturday, uh, many people tuned in to the Duke-North Carolina basketball game to see Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski's last home game as coach of Duke at Duke University. And my wife Pam and Jared, my son, we gathered and we watched on the TV. And I know with Duke, there's either a love-hate thing. You either love them or you hate them. But I wanted to see this because uh, Coach K has been coaching there since 1980. So since I was 10 years old, every year during March Madness, I remember seeing Coach K. I read a book that he wrote uh, several years back now about how he tries to instill character and, and prepare his players for life beyond basketball, and I always admired that. And so I wanted to see him in his last game. And boy, you couldn't miss it. I don't know if you tuned in, but they had a Coach K cam where there's a camera on Coach K pretty much the whole game. And they watched him going back and forth. And, and as you may or may not know, Duke ended up, or Duke ended up losing to North Carolina. They beat him and he lost his last game at home at Duke University. Well, I, after that game, I kind of did my normal Saturday night routine to get ready for Sunday morning. And then I went to bed and uh, I had a dream. And I had a dream that night that I was here preaching and Coach K was here coaching me preach. He's like, don't use that adverb. What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trying. To. And it, was, it felt so real. And then I woke up and I said, oh, it's just a dream. Coach K won't be there in the morning. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will. Dreams can seem like they're real but they're not. Have you ever had a dream where you just swear this is a real thing happening and you wake up most of the time to relief that it wasn't a real thing? Have you ever had a dream like that? It's not just with dreams. Some things we believe about ourselves are true and some things we believe about ourselves are not true. That's why it's so important to have truth from the outside come and help us discern what is real and what isn't. We need something from outside of us to speak into us to bring us to truth. That's why we need God's word. That's why we need wise counsel from friends who are Christians. That's why we need outside truthful voices. Someone who could come in and speak the truth to those areas that we might be deceiving ourselves. And that's exactly what we see our Savior and King Jesus do today in the church we're going to look at. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at the first six verses. We're in a series going through the book of Revelation. And the first part of Revelation is Jesus writing letters to seven different churches. And we are on church number five of seven. We have two more to go. And this particular letter is to a church in the city of Sardis. These are real churches, real people, real things happening. These aren't just allegories or made up. This is real stuff going on. So let's look at Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read to you verses 1 to 6 where Jesus is talking and instructing and writing this letter to this church in the city. 
It says, write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's Jesus. The seven stars are the churches. The seven spirits is the Holy Spirit empowering these churches. And he is there in the midst of them. And this is what Jesus says. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you will have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But, you'll have, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy." In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. In this letter, unlike the other letters, Jesus doesn't really give a word of encouragement before he gets to the main point of challenge. In the other letters of the churches, Jesus kind of starts off by saying, here's some good things I see among you. And then he kind of turns and says, now here's what you have to address. In fact, someone from our church last week came up to me and said, I love how Jesus always starts off giving the good news and saying, here are the good things I see in you that I like, and then he gives us the bad news. I didn't have the heart to say, well, wait till next week, because he doesn't do that in here. He kind of goes right for the punch. Jesus says, I know what's happening in your church. You have this great reputation for being alive. However, you are spiritually dead. You're deceiving yourselves. Is this possible? That's the question I've been asking myself this week as I prepared this message. Is it possible that a church could gather, could worship God, could do the things that God calls them to do in the scriptures to the point where others on the outside look and see and have it look like it's alive, but really it's spiritually dead? Could a church think they're alive, but really be dead. Is that possible? Absolutely. It's absolutely possible. And it seemed like everyone in this church was deceived, but there were some that weren't. They had a reputation from the outside as a church that did all the right things. Look at what they're doing. They, they worship God. They learn from his word. They're caring for each other. They're doing things in the city. This would be, in our context, a type of church that would be doing all the conferences on here's how you have a great church. And people would be coming and seeing and, and looking at all the great things that are going on. But Jesus says, in the midst of all that, there's no life in you. It's not real. It's a manufactured Christianity. It's a counterfeit spirituality. How can this happen? 
Well, one of the things I think we all have to be aware of is we're so easily influenced by our culture and our context. And I think this church in Sardis could have been influenced by the city around it because the church and the city, it seems, were going through similar things. The city of Sardis had this amazing past. People renowned the city back in the day. But they lost so much at the time that this letter that Jesus wrote was written. And the city was propping itself up on its past to try to get people to come and live there and revitalize the city again. And I think the church was doing the same. The church was accused of self-deception by Jesus, rightly so, and and the city at the time was self-deceived as well. There's two things about the reputation of the city of Sardis that I want to talk to you about. And the first is they had a reputation of being invincible. The city officials said this was a safe city. You don't have to worry here. We're not going to be overrun by Roman soldiers if the empire thinks that we're rebelling because we will defend our city. This is a safe place. We are impregnable. People are unable to come and take our city and overcome us. And they were rightly so in saying that in their past because this is a modern-day picture of the city of Sardis. And you can see there's this mountain range behind it, and the city uh, was kind of enclosed by these mountain ranges. It made it very hard for any enemy who would want to come and take the city to come and take it. It had these great citadels where sentries and guards would sit in the front and watch. It was a tough city if you wanted to be an enemy and come and overtake it. But the truth is they were stormed by armies twice in their history and overcome. And they never ever really recovered from that. But the city officials were living on the old narrative and they kept saying, no, this is a safe place. Come, we will never be overcome. You can live here and have a wonderful life. Their arrogance blinded them to the truth. There was another reputation saying for this city in Sardis, and that is it was a wealthy city. If you come to this city, there's a chance you will be rich. There was a river that ran past the marketplace in Sardis and many people back in the day would bathe in the river and oftentimes they'd find gold. Because there was lots of gold in Sardis' past. At one time it was known as the city of gold. Because it was rich and wealthy and had all this gold. But that was back in the day. At the time that this letter was written, there wasn't a lot of gold, if any, in Sardis. But the city officials kept saying, no, this is a wealthy city. Come live here. You will be rich. And when you believe things that aren't true, you end up ignoring serious problems and issues in your life. And this is true in the city as well. The city of Sardis, one of the things they were known for at this time is they never really did outreach to the poor and needy. There was no, the church even didn't really do an outreach to the poor and needy because when you're trying to remember that you're rich and wealthy, you tend to ignore certain realities. This is easier to do than we may realize, to buy into self-deception. 
Perhaps what was happening in the city of Sardis was also happening in the church as well. And Jesus brings clarity. He calls them out right away. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do with somebody is have a difficult conversation where you tell the truth in love. This church had a reputation for being spiritually vibrant, but that wasn't true. They were spiritually dead in the eyes of King Jesus. People thought God was moving in a powerful way. They thought that the Spirit of God was alive and real, but the spiritual life can be counterfeited. People can look at a church and see amazing things and be totally deceived and realize the spiritual things that they thought were active were not really real. And you know why that happens? Because Christians are really, really good at pretending to be Christians. Christians know what to say. They know what to act, how to act. They know how to behave as a Christian. And it can create this outward behavioral cultural shell that looks very Christian, but on the inside there's a heart that's not being transformed into the image of God. And that can happen not just to a church as a whole. The church isn't a building. The church is a family of God. And so when that happens to many individuals in the church, then the reflection of the church is they look really, really good, but they're actually spiritually dead. That's how it happens. This can be all too common. Or there's a time in the church where God moves in a powerful way and people come to Christ and they start having a relationship with God and lives are being changed and people are set free from addictions and you see these amazing things happening. And so then our reaction as a church is we have to harness this so other people can take part. And so we have structures and leadership and strategies, rightly so, so that we can be faithful to what God is doing in our midst. And we put these things in place, these leaderships and strategies and structures. And then all of a sudden something happens where we stop looking at the Spirit of God and inquiring the Spirit of God and we rely on our strategies and our plans and our structures and our leaders. And we forget that it was the Spirit of God that made the move that started the whole thing. It's so easy, to, and it can totally happen. And I believe that's what happened in this church here. When we begin to rely on ourselves and our actions before we know it, we could be spiritually dead. And self-deception settles in. Self-deception creeps in slowly. And it happened in Sardis. And it can happen anywhere. It could even happen at Crossview Church. And it can happen in our own personal lives as well. Where we know this Christian routine, we know what we're supposed to be like, but we move in a track of our lives that pays no attention to our heart and soul and just is filled with activity and experiences. And before you know it, we're pretending to be a Christian, but inside we're really spiritually dead. It's so easy to take place. My guess is the church of Sardis didn't wake up one day and said, hey, let's see how hypocritical we can become. 
Hey, let's see how many people we can fool and let them think we're a really great church, but we really won't be. No one does that. Self-deception creeps in. And they saw God move, and they organized ministries, and they did things that were good and faithful. But then they did one key thing that we have to be aware of. They stopped seeking God. They stopped asking, God, what should we do here? When they came to a decision or a crossroads or an opportunity, they relied on their own intellect, their own strategy, their own gifting, and they stopped seeking God. The church of Sardis stopped saying, God, what would you have us to do here? They stopped being open with their hands and their hearts and their minds before God. And they just stayed in their spiritual cocoon, their plastic spirituality, and made decisions that they thought were best. People thought God was moving in great ways, but the spiritual life was counterfeited. Because they neglected this pause. They neglected this reflection. They no longer sought God. They stopped praying and began just to function. They stopped relying on God and relied on their own giftings and strengths and abilities. You see, that is why it is absolutely critical that we at Crossview Church become a people of prayer. It's absolutely critical that we at Crossview Church become a people of reflection and looking at what the Bible says and letting it sink into our hearts, that we become people who are quick when opportunities and changes and things happen in our city and in our world, and we say, God, what do you think about this? God, what should we do here? And we are fast to go to God, where our ref reflex in our hearts is to seek God. It's so critically important. Otherwise, we begin to lie to ourselves, and we're lulled into self-deception. And before you know it, Jesus looks at the church and says, you have a great reputation, but guess what? You're dead spiritually. My prayer is that we become a people of prayer. My prayer is that we never get too comfortable with what God's doing here in the midst of us. We are your church, Jesus, and you have given us a message that will transform and bring hope to the dying world. Help us carry that out. May that be the position we stay in as Crossview Church. September 23rd, 1857, there was a man named Jeremiah Lamphere. And Jeremiah Lamphere was not a pastor. He was a businessman. He came week after week to church and sat there, not stand up here. And he got this idea in his heart. He lived in New York City. He was a businessman in New York City. He went to North Dutch Reformed Church in New York City. And he got this idea in his heart and said, we should pray more as a church. And then he turned the finger on himself and said, actually, I should pray more 
as part of the church. And so he went to the pastor and he said, I want to pray more, and I'm sure there's other people who want to pray with me. On Wednesdays at noon, could we open the chapel of the church and could I come and pray and maybe we can invite anyone else who wants to pray to join us? And the pastor said, no, we're not doing that. No, the pastor said, yes, yes, we can do that. And the pastor opened the doors and Jeremiah Lamphere on September 23rd, 1857, at noon, walked into the church chapel, sat down and began to pray. He was by himself all the way up to 1230. At 12:30, one other person came in and prayed with him to noon. And then they left and they went about their day. But God was moving. God began to move. Within a week, there were 16 people coming at noon to pray in that church. Within three weeks, there were 40 people. On October 18th, not even a month from when this started, there were over 100 people coming at noon and praying. And they're praying for their own hearts to be revived back to God. They were saying, God, we feel fake. We feel dead. Will you forgive us and will you revive us again that we sense your life in us? And they began to pray that. Two weeks later, the stock market crashed. And the prayer meeting at the church was full on every floor, every room, every hallway. They had nowhere else other churches in the city began doing this. All the churches in the New York, this area of New York City began doing this, and all of them were full. 30,000 people lost their jobs in a matter of days, and just about as many turned to prayer and began to pray. Other churches joined in. Other cities joined in. All of a sudden, this started happening in St. Louis. Same thing. A couple people gather at noon for prayer, and every day after that, they were praying at noon. Then it happened in Pittsburgh. Then it happened in Chicago. And what was dubbed as the second great awakening was happening in the United States of America. And this was the article that was written in the New York Times on March 1st, 1858. It says, great waves of religious excitement, which is now sweeping over this nation, is one of the most remarkable movement, movements since the Reformation. Travelers relate that in cars and steamboats, in banks and markets, everywhere through the interior, this matter is an absorbing topic, meaning everybody's talking about this. Churches are crowded, schoolhouses are turned into chapels, converts are numbered by the scores of thousands. In this city, New York City, we have beheld a sight which not the most enthusiastic fanatic for church life could ever have been hoped to look upon. And we have seen in the business quarter of the city, in the busiest hours, assemblies of merchants, clerks, and working men and women to the number of 5,000 gathered day after day for a simple and solemn worship. It is most impressive. This is New York Times. It is most impressive to think that over this great land, tens and fifties of thousands of men and women are putting them, their, themselves at this time in a simple and serious way to consider the greatest question that can ever enter a human mind. What shall we do to be saved 
from our sin. And they gathered. And they said, God, forgive us. And great revival changed the nation because not a pastor, a lay person said, I need to pray. I don't know about you, but I think we need that again in this world, in our nation, in the state, and in the city. It's too easily to be self-deceived. So now Jesus goes into the spot where he starts to diagnose the self-deception. How can you tell if you're dying spiritually? Is there a way to know you're dying spiritually before it's too late? Spiritual drift can happen to any Christian. Spiritual drift will naturally happen to any church. It's kind of the default. If you're not on point and seeking after God proactively and intentionally, as believers, you tend to default into this drift. It's part of our sinful nature. So it's so vital to stop periodically and saying, God, is this real? Am I really following you? It's so vital for churches to stop and evaluate and say, is the Holy Spirit of God leading us? Or are we relying on our own selves and our structures and our plans? Will we say no to the sinful things that press us in this world so that we can stay alive to God? When we do that and we stop and we say we want to follow and we allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts, the Holy Spirit comes in often gently and says, wake up to this. And we bring that thing he shows us and we ask forgiveness and we repent and God says once again, I love you. I, can forg- I will forgive you. I can empower you to live the way I want you to live, but you have to respond to me. You have to walk with me. It's the most important thing in our schedules, in our lives, whether we realize it or do it or not. So there's two diagnostic questions I want to give you that will help us reveal self-deception. The first one is this. Have the clear things the Bible says about God become fuzzy? Have the clear things that the Bible says about God, the things that you at one time in your life said, this is, I can take this to the bank. This is true. This is what God says that's true. Have those things become fuzzy? Have you started thinking, well, maybe God's not like that? Are you beginning to think that there's certain things that God says not to do that that's not really a big deal? When you were alive to God and strong with him, you knew how much God loved you. You knew how much God forgave you. You knew how much uh, grace and mercy he poured out on you. You knew that his word, no matter what it said, was the best thing for you. Has that become fuzzy? Has it changed? Do you start to say, well, I don't know if God looks at every human being like that. Or I don't know if he has 
our best in mind. You see, those questions, though real, if we don't address them, will cause us to drift. And if you do that too long, you can become like this church where all of a sudden you think you're spiritually alive, but inside you're spiritually dead. At one time, you knew that God loved you. You knew his grace, his forgiveness, and his power were sufficient to get you through anything you would experience in this life. And when you thought about that, it fostered this heart of gratitude and worship and thanksgiving. And you got to that place where you said, God, I will do anything for you, and I will go anywhere you want me to go. Has that become fuzzy? Is it not as clear? Sometimes do you wonder if God is real? If that is you and you're here this morning, Jesus says to you this morning, come to me. Come back to me. Second question to help us diagnose self-deception is, are you willing to stand for Jesus even if you're the only one standing? Are you willing to stand for Jesus even if you're the only one standing? The answer to that question will help diagnose self-deception. Jesus says here in verse 4 and 5, But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. They will stand. A few in this church were faithful. They will walk with God, it says, in white clothes. It's interesting. This city was known for its textiles. And Jesus is identifying with them. He's helping them to understand what's going on. And he says one of the clearest indications that a person is alive to God is that that person will be faithful to Jesus even when no one else is. When most are rationalizing sin, when most are compromising their sin, there is one person who's standing strong, who says, it doesn't matter if all are with me or if I'm standing alone, I am going to follow Jesus. In this church, there was a few that stood in this church, there was a few that were like that. And guess what? They captured the attention of God to the point where he put it in the letter. One of the most genuine signs of spiritual life is our willingness to be among the few. If no one will say, I'm a follower of Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what happens to me. If no one will serve, I will say I will serve because Jesus served me. If no one will say no to worldliness and ungodly ways, I, by the power of your grace and spirit, Jesus, will resist temptation and I ask for your help. Also notice, Jesus didn't tell this few that, hey, you're in a spiritually dead church, you better go to a different church. Go ahead and leave. Go find a church that's alive. He didn't tell them that. Because Jesus knew that a faithful few can reawaken a dead church and bring it back to spiritual life. And that's what was happening. That's what he wanted to see take place. 
And then Jesus gives these few the greatest promise a human soul could ever receive. And he says, your membership in the book of life will always stand. You will be with me on that day when I return and I set up my kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. So what's the solution to self-deception? We're talking about spiritual revival here, and spiritual revival is a work of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, but he gives us the privilege of taking steps in that direction. So how do we respond to this? How do we wake up? Jesus gives us three steps to wake up and come out of self-deception, and they're in verses two and three. The first one he says is be alert or wake up. You have to make a decision that you're going to be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit that when God comes and wakes you up and shows you something in your heart that he doesn't like, that you're going to take action and repent and come back to him. Waking up. One of the ways the city of Sardis was captured in its past, when it thought it was invincible, King Cyrus, this king, had a group of men and they went around to the mountains and they peeked and they saw that they were neglecting to guard their city gate. And he came back down and he said to his army, we can march right through the front gate and nothing will happen. And they sh- a couple days later, they went through the front gate and the guards at the gate were asleep. Isn't it interesting that now Jesus says to this church, be alert, wake up. Wake up spiritually. And when God does that, we have to respond. Jesus calls us to be alert to the condition of our souls, to know where we are in terms of our life with God, to not fool ourselves, but to say, God, let's take real inventory. Where am I at with you? Do you worship God in your private life? Can you be honest about where you're really at spiritually? Are you able to make an honest, humble evaluation of where you really are with God in this moment? We must be alert to what's going on in our hearts. We must pay attention to our souls. The second thing Jesus says is strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. We had this new tree in our we have this new tree in our front yard. It's kind of a newer young tree. It's only about this tall and and it wasn't growing. It kind of like stopped. And there was all these like dead branches that were kind of on the top. And we showed a person who knows more about landscaping than we do and they pulled out their trimmers and they just began clipping the tops of these dead branches off. They said, "Well, you got to get rid of these." And they threw them on the ground and they're clipping and clipping. All of a sudden it improved. Strengthening what remains in your spiritual life is like that. There's things that you and I attach ourselves to as Christians as we walk through this world and all of a sudden we consume our lives with things that are less than God. We fill our schedules to the max. We add more and say yes to more and do this and do that and all of a sudden we're going 24-7 nonstop in all this blurry of activity and all these experiences and we pay no attention to God and then we go to church and we pretend all this stuff. That's dangerous. 
that leads you into self-deception where all of a sudden you think you're following God and God says you're dead. We have to clip certain things out of our lives. We have to take things and prioritize. Jesus above this. Dallas Willard said one of the greatest ways you grow closer to Jesus is you have times in your life where you have nothing to do. Because it's in those moments you start to think and reflect and pray and say, God, come. There are perhaps sinful sinful things that we need cut off so that we can be more alive to Christ. And I would say in our culture and time, perhaps there are non-sinful things that we need to say no to so that we can say yes to God and be alive to him again. Would we have time to come and start a prayer meeting at noon? When we follow Jesus, he must become Lord of our lives. As human beings, we have limits. God doesn't have any limits, but we do. We can only be involved in so much. Cut off what is pulling you away from having life in Christ. That is the most important. Jesus says another thing. He says, remember and keep and turn. We can remember what God did in our life and let that reawaken us. If you are here and you'd call yourself a Christian, if you're here and you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus, do you remember that moment when the gospel made sense to you? Do you remember that moment when Jesus going to the cross to bring you into a relationship with him made sense? And you responded and you said, that's what he did. I want to be in relationship with him. And you moved your life to get into that place. Do you remember that moment? Jesus says that will help you break free from self-deception. Remember when that took place. Do you remember when you gave your life to Jesus? Do you remember saying yes to him? Do you remember what was your priority? Do you remember what you were thinking about? One way to wake up spiritually according to Jesus is to remember what it was like at first and ponder that. What did you do differently? How did you live? It might be worth getting a journal and writing out the story you remember and go back to that time. What are you learning about what God is teaching you? John Calvin said this. He said, without a knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. And without a knowledge of self, there's no knowledge of God. What does he mean by that? He says, if you want to know God, you have to know the reality of your own heart. And if you want to know the reality of your own heart, you have to know God. They go hand in hand. Jesus wants us to pay attention to what's going on inside of our heart. And finally, Jesus said to turn, to repent. Repent means to turn away from the things that entice us and lure us away from God and turn back to God. In this letter, Jesus gives us three practices to guard against self-deception, to be alert, to wake up, to pay attention to our own hearts and souls, to strengthen what remains, to cut out the things that pull us away from God that we've given priority to that are less than, to be done with lesser things 
as the hymn says. And finally, to remember and to keep and to turn. These practices can revive us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And they can make us alive again. Let's pray.